Um, so this week we're going to be ending and wrapping up our Approved series. Um, in, we're going to be in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. Um, and this, for a lot of us, this is a part of Scripture where we, like, if we, were, if we had to read this out loud in a Bible study, or if our youth had to read it out loud at youth group, we would all of a sudden start to get really, really sweaty. Because there are 15 names in 14 verses. And that's not even to mention the cities, okay? So many of us, if, if I were to call on you and have you read this, you'd be like, oh, yeah, um, I'm going to actually be out of town. Can you have somebody else come up and read it? Because names are hard in the Bible, but um, these people are not here this morning, and so if we butcher them, it's going to be okay. Um, I remember so many times in grade school, um, first name was easy, Vincent. Uh, last name, D-E-R-R. It sounds exactly the way it's spelled, der. Um, but I can't tell you how many times people tried to be polite to me and pronounce it dear because they were like, ah, it couldn't possibly be der. Who would have such a weird last name? Um, but it, it is der. So we're going to go through these. But before we jump in, um, I want us to understand where this passage is and what this passage is for Paul. Paul is in Rome, and he's writing this. Um, and it's these last verses in Second Timothy and in chapter 25 of Acts where we get Paul's, we could call him his last will and testament. These are the last recorded words of Paul before he faces execution. Um, and you can tell a lot about somebody when their backs are really against the wall, what they say. And so we're going to learn about Paul and why uh, he was so willing to pay the price of the gospel. But if you're anything like me, maybe your mind, you came this morning and you're just like, I have like a thousand different things going on. Um, so I'm going to go to prayer uh, for all of us this morning. Um, and I'm probably, I'm going to leave a little bit of just silence so that we can all just kind of get here because um, we all have distractions. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your voice, that you're a God who works through each and every one of us. You don't have some requirement of a degree or skill or talent. You speak through all of us. God, we just ask that you would continue to do that this morning, that you would help us get out of the way so that you could do something great. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people who received this letter the first time and saved it. God, we just pray that we could save and cherish your word enough this morning that people will not forget it. In your name we pray, amen. So recently I was on Facebook and... Um, a friend of mine was talking about um, dating because when you're my age, people talk about dating all the time. Um, and she was kind of lamenting that people don't write letters anymore. Um, and I've, one of my favorite things to do is ask people, like, hey, how'd you meet your spouse? Because I find those stories to be awesome. Um, and what's interesting is um, I've heard some people's stories, and they're like, we were 
long distance for years, and we wrote letters to each other overseas, and we, it was back before we had uh, these handy phones that we could just text each, we could send something up into the sky, and it would shoot down in a matter of minutes. It was way before that, so we'd write a letter not knowing if he or she still loved us, and we'd send it in the mail, and then three weeks later, we'd get another one back, and yes, they do love us. Um, but letters are important. Um, I have a letter from one of my friends that wrote it to me when I was in college and just full of um, a bunch of wisdom about um, speaking against the lies that Satan gave me. Um, but letters are important. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy, um, but he really is writing it to everyone. He names, again, 15 people and 14 verses. So we're going to jump in this morning, uh, verse 9 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and we're going to finish out the letter. All right. Do your best to come to me soon. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cratians has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you. <clears throat> for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onifers. Ooh, man, I made it so far. Onisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Ebulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So we're asking a question this morning. Why was Paul willing to pay the price and you might look at this passage and be like, man, I do not know how you're going to get an answer out of that. Um, and I'm not going to make you wait long. The answer is simply, Paul was not a Damas. Now, some of you may have heard something that I didn't actually say, um, and that's kind of on purpose. But Damas is a guy's name. If you remember all the way back to when I started, it's in verse 10, for Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I promise you I did not cuss. That is a man's name. Um, but Damas is a man of excuses and short-sightedness. Um, I remember I played football in high school, and I know, 5'5", five, five, and I was a lot skinnier back then. So it may not seem like, whoa, Vince, you played football? That's not a thing. I played football, I promise you. Um, and I was a cornerback, and I love, I love football. And I remember when I first got into high school football, um, football coaches can be some of the best and some of the worst people in the world. Um, 
just because of the nature of their job. They, they yell and they get on you. But I remember we were in practice, freshmen, and I was lining up for the play, and we would always signal in all of our, our plays. I can't remember what any of them were. So, um, but we were supposed to run a cover three, which means I had the deep third of the field. Nobody gets behind me, um, but I didn't see the sign. I didn't see the signal, and I thought we were playing man-to-man. And so I lined up in front of the guy, and I was getting ready, and they hiked the ball, and my guy did a five-yard in, and I followed him. The only problem was the tight end came outside and ran a fly right where I was supposed to be. Caught it, touchdown in practice. And Coach Krupp came over, and I remember I, I was... It's one of the worst feelings. It's, if any of you play baseball, it's kind of like when you throw a pitch and you hear it and you're like, yep, that's a home run. It's gone. I, I messed up. And so I saw the, the ball leave and I was like, oh, no. This is going to be the worst 30 seconds of my life about to happen. And coach came across from the sideline and he started yelling, I need some water before I start yelling. And he'd go, Dar, what are you doing? It was deep third. What are you doing? And freshman, I, I thought we were playing. I don't want your excuses. Get the sign. Do your assignment. Don't let anyone in behind you. And I was like, Whoa, okay, high school football. Here we go. Um, and I, that was probably one of his favorite sayings. I don't want any excuses. Fix it. Do your assignment. All the time. Anytime somebody would mess up, he'd come in and sometimes he'd get a, he'd, he'd grab you by the shoulder pads. And if you get grabbed by the shoulder pads, you can't, there's like, you kind of get like noodle arms. It's, it's hard to feel tough when a coach grabs you and starts shaking you and you're like, ah. I don't want any excuses. Well, Damas in our passage is a man full of excuses, and he gets called out by name, by Paul, for deserting him. One of the reasons I love camp ministry is because it removes excuses. It removes distractions. You don't get your phone for a week. You lose some of your friends don't come that are bad influences. Some of your friends do come that are bad influences. Um, but I love camp ministry, and three out of the last four-ish weeks, I was at camp, um, high school camp, middle school work camp, and then elementary camp. And for those of you who have elementary kids that went to camp, they may have gotten a purple um, piece of cloth either on their wrist or their ankle, and if they haven't told you what that's about, um, they've already failed what they were supposed to do. Um, So ask them, okay? Um, But I'll give you the short answer. Basically, it means uh, I promise no more excuses, God. No more excuses. Um, And it was one worship that the camp programmer brought out Jenga, giant Jenga, just like this. Um, And I love games. And so I was like, why are we going to be playing Jenga in worship today? Like, what's what's the lesson? And he went up to it and he said, "This, this is your life. This is your life with God. It's full. There's no holes in it. We're talking about the missing piece at camp and how the missing piece is Jesus. He said it's full. 
There's no holes in it. He says, but a lot of us make excuses when it comes to following God. You know, he starts pulling out a piece and he goes, yeah, I know I should get up early for church and, and learn about you, but I'm tired. I don't really want to. And yeah, I, I know that I probably should stick up for that person at school that's getting bullied, but I don't want to stick out. Like I, and we make all these excuses, and it's not just kids, it's, it's us as well. It's, yeah, I know I should be involved in a group and in a community that encourages me and helps me learn more at the, about the Bible, but my favorite TV shows are on during small groups, so I'm not joining one. Or it's... You know what? It's the summer. Nobody really goes to church in the summer anyway, so why should I even bother? And we come up with all these different excuses. Like, I know I should be discipling my kids, but I think that the church is going to do it alone. I think they can do it enough, which is ridiculous because we only get about 40 hours uh, a year, and the school gets about 1,000, right? And so, you know, I I know that I should probably get my teenager up to get to church, but... um, She's really tired, and I'm tired of fighting with her. So we're just, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. And, yeah, I know, that, I know that I should be faithful to my wife, but just one more glance wouldn't hurt. I mean, and we make all these different excuses all the time when it comes to our lives. And when we get down to it, there's not much more to... You guys are really getting worried about me letting this go. When it comes to when you get to the end of the road, like Paul, facing execution, and we've made all these excuses in our lives, we've put holes in our relationship with God, and then somebody says, maybe it's at work, and they're having a hard time. You know what? I really don't want to bring up the gospel because it's awkward. Like, I... I, I can't, I can't even do awkward. And so we take it apart. And eventually what happens is we'll get to the end of our lives, I'm sure like Damas, and, you know, I really liked Jesus, um, but I, I wasn't going to share him because it was too awkward. Or I really like Jesus, but, you know what, persecution in America, whew, that's hard stuff. And we get to the end of our lives, and God says, all right, put your life before me. What's your relationship with me? And God's going to say one or two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, I don't know you. You made excuse after excuse every Sunday, every Wednesday, every, every Monday for a small group, every, every opportunity I gave you to disciple somebody else, to be a disciple, and you made an excuse. And this is what your relationship with me looks like, empty, nothing. I don't know you. So Paul isn't a Damas. He has a bigger picture of the kingdom of God. One of the, um, and we can see that when we're like Damas, We make excuses, and our life falls apart when it really matters. Paul, on the other hand, makes no excuses. His timeline is longer, and he understands the kingdom is bigger than his own life. And we see this in verse uh, verse, uh, 16, verse 17. He says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul is in prison, y'all. He is facing execution. He has not been rescued from any lion's mouth just yet. But what is rescue for Paul? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. For Paul, Paul understands that to be rescued isn't to be rescued from awkwardness at work. For Paul, being rescued isn't about being rescued from execution even. For Paul, being rescued is to enter God's glory and to enter his kingdom. His picture is so much bigger than this present world. I wonder how many of us could say the same, that for me to be rescued isn't for work to be easy and all my relationships to have no tension, but for me to be rescued is to display the glory of God. That's Paul's, that's Paul's vision. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. This is going to give us a pretty clear picture of what we're talking about here. See, for Paul, if he's going to be a follower of Jesus, he's not going to play around, and he's not going to give excuses. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him, talking about Jesus, whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk the way Jesus walked. And I don't remember too many stories in the Bible where Jesus goes, you know what, Dad, Father, I know I should probably forgive this woman at the well, but, I mean, she is a Samaritan. I, I don't know about that. Like, Jesus doesn't make excuses for obedience. He doesn't go, you know what, I saw Zacchaeus in the tree, but um, I was going to go give a speech on the hillside. I... I I can't stop and have dinner with Zacchaeus and forgive him of his sins. He who says he abides ought to walk the way that Jesus walks. And let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. This should be a very familiar passage for a lot of us. Um, even if you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, you know this verse, even if you don't know the, the verse reference. So Philippians 1, verse 21, says this. For to me, to live is Christ, and die is gain. Let's go ahead and do 22 as well. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. See, this is Paul. The same Paul we're reading in 2 Timothy the same Paul that's like, hey, Damas deserted me because he loves this world too much. Damas deserted me because he loves comfort too much. Damas is not down. He's not down with the whole Jesus thing. I mean, he, he likes Jesus a lot. He followed me in ministry a lot. You know, he talked a good game. But when I got arrested, and he could have got arrested, he just took off. He's not really all in. And it's crazy to think that Paul's writing this 
in Philippians, and he's like, I, you know what? It's kind of a tough call for me. I, I'm not real sure. I mean, I like doing ministry. I like, I like living here and all that, but man, the kingdom of God's pretty sweet. Like, I'm not, I'm not real sure. It's not that Paul seeks out martyrdom. That's what, I don't want us to kind of get stuck there, right? Um, the goal is not to seek out destruction. Um, there was, when Christians were being persecuted like crazy, there are stories of some Christians, immature Christians, that saw martyrdom as kind of like, hey, if I get martyred, I am good to go. And so they would purposely seek out martyrdom. They would purposely seek out to end their ministry so that they could die at the hands of persecution. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when it comes, you don't buckle. When the opportunity arises to disciple, when the opportunity arises to tell somebody about the gospel, you don't buckle. It's not that you're seeking out opportunities like, oh, today I'm going to get persecuted. I'm going to seek it out. I'm going to go find somebody that looks like the meanest, nastiest person, and I'm going to preach the gospel at them until they punch me in the face. Like, that's, that's not what Paul did. Paul was like, hey, there's some people over there that don't know Jesus. I'm going to go tell them about Jesus, and I'm going to leave the rest to God. Paul gets stoned. He... He gets whipped, he gets shipwrecked, and it's not like he's seeking it out. He's just seeking God's kingdom. Paying the price isn't about seeking martyrdom. It's about not flinching when the time comes. It's about not having excuses when the time comes. And that's why Paul's able to do this. He sees God's kingdom much higher, much bigger than what we're in right now. Not that what we're in right now doesn't matter, because it does. Otherwise, we wouldn't even do ministry. If right now it didn't matter, it'd be like, oh, well, this is nice, but it doesn't really matter. Well, it matters because we want more people to go to God's kingdom. So how does Paul do this? The reason why Paul's able to pay the price is because he knows God is way better, way bigger than anything that we could ever have here. So how does he live in light of that? Funny enough, um, I did not plan this, um, but as I was reading this, I was like, oh, Paul's doing three things in this passage, and he does three things in his ministry all the time. And you may have heard us say them before. Um, Paul's drawing people to Christ. He's teaching them up, and he's sending them out. I actually wore the shirt today, um, kind of by accident. When you live alone and you have to do laundry yourself, sometimes... You only have one shirt to wear. Um, but Paul draws people to Christ, he teaches them up, and he sends them out. So how do we see this? Paul draws people in verse 9 and verse 16 and verse 17. I lost my place. i got to find it again. Paul is drawing Timothy to himself. He says, do your best to come to me soon. Should have put the marker in. I'm going to struggle to find it. Oh, there we go. Paul is drawing Timothy to himself. In fact, Paul's even drawing Mark to himself. So verse 9, very simple. Do your best to come to me soon. Draw on Timothy. Come. Come learn more about God. Come learn more from me. 
And what I find amazing is that he asks for Mark. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. Not only does he ask for Mark to come, but he also compliments Mark, which if you don't know, know that much about the book of Acts, um, I'll explain it to you. He says, for he's very useful for me uh, for ministry, to me for ministry. In the book of Acts, Mark is following along with Paul and Barnabas, and they're going and they're doing ministry and they're, they're doing all this, and then all of a sudden, Mark has a Damas moment. He, he's following, and then they get persecuted, and Mark, he's a young guy, and he's like, yep, gone, and he deserts them. And Paul and Barnabas actually have like a knockout, drag-out drag fight about this. Barnabas is like, hey, he's a young guy, he loves Jesus, he just, he wasn't, he, he, he needs another chance. And Paul's like, I want nothing to do with him. Do not bring him on ministry. We can't rely on him. He's the worst. He probably didn't say that, but in my mind, that's what I would have said. He's the worst. I can't, I can't rely on him. Um, nothing's worse than having people in your life that you can't rely on. Um, it's like, hey, can you, can you, uh, can you come over and, and help me put this bookshelf together I got from Ikea that is, like, impossible to put together? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be over at 3. And it's, like, 5 o'clock, and you're like, so I think I should probably start just doing this by myself. Nothing is worse than unreliable people. And Paul's like, Mark can't be relied on. Barnabas and Paul split over this. It's that big of a deal. It would be almost equivalent to... Um, the elders, if they were like, if half of them were like, you know what, I like Vince. He does good ministry. We should keep him around. I, I know he messed up, but we should keep him. And the other half was like, no, he's unreliable. We can't have him. And then they, they split, and they went their own ways. And then the ones who said I was unreliable years down the road said, hey, let's hire Vince again. Let's bring him back. This is what's happening here. Paul is saying, yeah, I know Mark deserted me before but he's actually doing some pretty good ministry. Can you bring him, bring him to me? And then the other reality is that Paul is proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all Gentiles might hear it. That message is a message of forgiveness. And we can see Paul living forgiveness out as well. He says, at my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. That is a very hard thing to do. Um, there have been times in my life where I felt like people deserted me. Um, I remember very specifically um, a, a time in my life when I felt like people deserted me, and it's kind of the reason why I ended up here. Um, I was at seminary, and... Um, got really close to professors. Seminary is a lot different than like high school or college. Seminary is like a really small group of people, about 200-ish, if that. And you go to all these functions with your professors. We would go and we would have theology on tap and we'd go down to the local brewery and we would have a beer and we would talk about anything and everything that was in the Bible. Sometimes we talked about... Um, the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we talked about the Apostles' Creed. Sometimes we would talk about eschatology, which is a fancy word that says the end times. And we'd be really close. We would have um, parties and get-togethers. Um, we'd go be invited over to professors' houses, and we'd get really, really close with these professors. And felt like 
after my second year at seminary that a lot of my professors took advantage of that closeness and deserted me. Um, It's part of the reason why I was like, maybe God's not calling me to full-time lead pastor ministry just yet. Um, And it, it would be hard for me, even today, to be like, hey, God, don't count that against them. That they didn't really realize what they were doing to me. That'd be hard for me to do right now. But Paul's like, hey, I got arrested and I'm facing execution and nobody, was, nobody stood by me. Don't hold that against those brothers. Keep them in the fold. Don't let them um, be exiled from your communion. Paul draws people. So how can we draw people? Um, this is a, hey, you can do this on Monday through Friday thing. Just open your eyes. There are people all around us and work and family. Um, at A&W, I love A&W, and there's always that awkward, like you, you order and then they give you that um, metal thing with the, and I always sit there and I just kind of like twirl it. Um, everybody does that, right? Anyway, and I stand there and I twirl it and there's always like five other people there. And we're all just kind of like standing within three feet of each other and just like not talking. I'm just open. It's like sometimes I think like God's up, up in heaven and he's like, open your eyes. There's people waiting for burgers that need the gospel. Just open your eyes. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities. Um, one of my favorite Bible stories is Zacchaeus. Um, it's one of my favorite because when I was at camp, I was Zacchaeus a lot um, because I was the shortest male counselor. Um, and my best friend, uh, Jake, talk about a l- bad last name, Klopfenstein, Klopfenstein, um, impossible to pronounce if you haven't been pronouncing it for five years. Um, but he was always the, he was always the tree. And so I, I want you to get this visual image of me scrambling up a tall, long haired, bearded man who's a tree and I'm sitting on his shoulders and Jesus. Um, and we'd always do that story. One summer, we'd always do it on Tuesdays, and Tuesdays is tie-dye Tuesdays at camp, and so Jake and I, being best friends, we got matching tie-dye outfits. Um, we bought just, like, white cotton shorts. What Cotton shorts are never a good choice, especially in the summer, and then white shirts, and we had white socks that we even tie-dyed, and we had bandanas that we tie-dyed. And so up on the stage, some, some of the weeks at camp, it would be like this gigantic wall of tie-dye. You couldn't tell like where the tree ended and where Zacchaeus um, started. But, I mean, Jesus is a busy guy, and I'm sure he, walking through that, that city that day, could have very easily closed his eyes to Zacchaeus. There are people, there are Zacchaeuses all over Benton County that are climbing up trees and just asking to be noticed, asking for somebody to say, hey, I see you. You want to come over for dinner? Or can I come over to your house for dinner? And then you build that relationship and you get an opportunity to share the gospel. Open your eyes to the opportunities that God provides around us. Sometimes uh, I would remember we, at camp, I love camp, so I talk about camp a lot. Um, we'd get to the end of the week, and somebody, we'd, we'd debrief it. And so we'd, we'd all be in a circle, and we'd talk about, hey, where'd you see God this week? Um, and some of the new counselors would always be like, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't really see, like, an opportunity to, I didn't, I didn't see, I, I, I just didn't see. And I remember always thinking, like, how, did we, were we at the same week of camp? Like, it was Thursday night and everybody was crying because they, they figured out the gospel. Like, we, you know, Johnny skinned his knee and I got to tell him about how Jesus heals. Like, open your eyes. Open your eyes because there's people around us and opportunities around us to draw them to Christ. So Paul draws. Paul also teaches. This whole letter, 2 Timothy, he writes a bunch of letters and they're all in our New Testament, and Paul teaches people the gospel all the time. And this, for some of them, this is like, hey, this is to the church. And so there's people that he has a really close relationship with that he's teaching, and there's just people that showed up that, that day to this person's house um, to learn, and they get this letter from Paul. Paul teaches people that he knows really well, like Timothy and Titus, and Philemon, and then he teaches groups of people that he doesn't know that well. Um, and what I think where we get hung up in the modern church is this idea of like degrees. Like you got to have a degree. That teaching is what the pastor does because he's, he went to school for it. He's got a degree. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been sitting and listening to somebody's testimony, college student, just became a Christian like a day ago. And they're telling their story. And I'm like, thank you, God. Like, this story is really helping me with my walk. It's reminding me of my first love for God. Some of us, we have phenomenal stories about how God has worked in our lives. That's all you got to do. To teach somebody about God, just teach them your experience of God. What has God done for you? You don't need a degree. You don't need a microphone. You just need a willingness to have a conversation. Paul teaches. And the last thing that Paul does is he sends people out. So in verse 12, um, we see this. Tychus I have sent to Ephesus. Simple. Not a lot of fluff in there. Just kind of reporting what he's doing. Uh, Tychus I have sent to Ephesus. We don't know that much about... Uh, Cretans who's gone to Galatia, or Titus who's gone to Dalmatia, um, which is kind of fun to say. I always think of like 101 Dalmatians back on track. Um, we don't know that much about those two guys. It doesn't really say that they deserted him. I mean, they're right after Damas deserts, but I think if they deserted Paul, he would have said it. Um, but he, he specifically mentions that he has sent Tychus to Ephesus. This is a, a pattern for Paul's ministry. He doesn't just call people. He doesn't just draw people and teach them and then like, all right, so that I can feel good about myself, I want everybody that I've ever taught to just follow me from city to city, like not too close, but like maybe like three or four steps behind me, will follow me to every city I go to, and that will be what will happen. And eventually we'll have this big mob so that I can feel really good about myself that's not what Paul does. Paul gets Timothy, and he teaches him up. He's a spiritual father to Timothy. And he says, all right, Timothy, you know enough. Yeah, you're still young, but go out. Don't let anybody look at you because of your age. Go and teach the gospel. 
Paul sends people out. Uh, Paul's not selfish when it comes to the gospel. Um, we were at Right Now Conference in May, I think, and um, David Ferguson, who was the pastor of the church that we were at, got up and talked about um, multiplication, how he wants to be multiplying his church. It's not enough just to add to his physical building, but to multiply. Um, so I got a couple of questions. Who here is actually from Vinton? Like you have a zip code that is Vinton, Iowa. Raise your hand. All right. How many of you have a zip code that is Shellsburg? Raise your hand. Nice. couple of you. How many have a zip code that's, uh, well, maybe Dysart? Mount Auburn? Brandon? Anybody? There we go. There are people in this congregation that aren't from here. They travel. How amazing would it be to someday be like, all right, we've trained you up. We've trained the people from Shellsburg. We've trained the people from, from Dyser and Brandon and Garrison. I forgot Garrison. And Mount Auburn. We've trained them up. Now go do ministry where you live. Maybe for some of them, that means starting a small church there. Maybe that means, you know what, I know there's people in, in Brandon or Mount Auburn or Dysart that would never go to church, but if I start a small Bible study in my home, they'll show up. That's sending people out. Um, and Paul sends people out. Paul's last words in 2 Timothy, and even in Acts 25, I would encourage you to go read that. His last words in Acts 25 are, be bold. Don't let anything hinder you. Proclaim the gospel. Um, basically, when I hear him read that, when I, hear, when I read that, I hear my football coach saying, hey, no excuses. Go do it. No excuses. You got your assignment. Go do it. Paul's last word, words demonstrate why he's okay with paying the price and how he lives in light of that. The challenge for us this morning in this ending of a letter that has 15 names and 14 verses is to read that and say, I'm not insignificant in the kingdom of God. Uh, I think sometimes we read genealogies or we read the ends of letters and we go, why is that person's name in there? And I think for me, when I read those, I'm always struck by how much God cares for individual people. People that we don't know anything else about. They're just mentioned. We don't know anything else about Tychus. We don't know anything else about Prissa or Aquila or, or Pudens or Linus. We don't know anything else about them other than the fact that they knew Paul and that Paul drew them in, taught them up, and sent them out as missionaries. Some of us, we're going to play our part. We're going to be part of God's kingdom. And no one's ever going to write a book about us. No one's ever going to write a book about Vincent and, and how, you know, he just, he, he did amazing ministry in Iowa. And the, you know, he had this season. And, and no one's going to write a book about my ministry. No one's going to write a book about most of our ministries. But what this letter shows me and naming all those people that are hard to pronounce, and trust me, someday your name will be hard to pronounce for somebody else in the future. Um, 
what it tells me is that all of our ministry matters, no matter how big and grand it is or how small it is. This is Paul. This is the rock star of the New Testament, and he's naming people that we don't know that much about. I wonder if we would be willing to, to do our small part in God's big kingdom to draw people to him, to teach them up, and to send them out. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for letters and passages like this that are just jam-packed full of people who are in your kingdom, people who didn't necessarily write volumes or preach a thousand sermons, but people that were faithful, people that said no excuses. There are people that need to know the gospel. God, I just pray that we could be that type of community It says, regardless of any praise, regardless of any fame or anything, I know people. My eyes are wide open to those I can draw, teach, and send out. God, I just pray that when we enter your kingdom, that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. God, that we would be able to see the legacy the genealogy of faith that we had a small hand in. God, would you help us to be a people of no excuses, a people who stand fast when it becomes hard. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.